Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am excited to be here with you today. I'm glad you're here. You're here for the same reason I'm here, to celebrate the birth of the one, the one who was prophesied about for thousands of years, the one who came for the poor and makes something beautiful out of a mess, the one who moves the stars. I love this season, don't you? It's a great season each year, although I am very busy. Most people like me are. Appointments after appointments, people wanting to hear the story that's more than just a story. But I still love it. And I've been with you for three sessions already. But I can see that our proximity to the day in which we celebrate the birth has brought more, to, more of you to this session than any of the other sessions. So it behooves me to introduce myself once again. I am the storyteller. And there are a lot of you here today, more than normal. And I must be honest, that makes me a little nervous. I'm a bit more scared than I usually am this morning. Fear. It can be debilitating, can't it? It can steal your purpose, your energy, your life, your opportunities. It can poison your mind and make you think a totally different way. Fear oftentimes keeps us from playing the part the master storyteller has for us to play in the master story. But I shall press on and tell and play my part in this story because the story I'm going to tell you today is much bigger than just me or my fear. It's much more than that. Because as I've told you before, it's not just a story, it's the story. A fairy tale, no, more than a fairy tale. History, yes, but more than just history. This story, this event, this thing we're talking about and we've been talking about over these last three sessions I've had with you, it changed everything. It changed human history. It set the earth itself on a different track. And I've told you before that this story at its core is a story of grace, of redemption. It's a love story about a prince who leaves his castle to go win back his bride. It's an adventure story about a hero who crosses into enemy territory to free the slaves held captive there. It's this epic tale of the deepest kind of love. Love that sacrifices all, gives all, shuns all for those that don't even deserve it in the least. And at the center of this story is a, is a baby, but more. A man, but more. A, a hero, but much more than that. A God. But unlike any other God you've ever heard of in any other religion, gods of wrath alone, gods of stone, gods far away, no. The one at the center of this story is much more than any of that. And so a story this epic... It takes more than one telling to convey, more than one vantage point to fully comprehend. And so I've endeavored to tell you this story from four different, distinct, and separate 
vantage points. Not all at one time, otherwise you'd miss lunch, and as I always say, that's not good for anybody. But in my first three tellings of this, I've shared the vantage point of the prophets, the flame bearers, the carriers of the hope of the promise. And then the vantage point of the shepherds, those lowly shepherds working the night shift outside of Bethlehem all those years ago. Those guys were a mess. But God chose to announce the birth of his son to them first. And then last time, the vantage point of those you call the wise men who were so consumed with the prospect of this king being born whose rule and reign would never end that they quickly gathered everything that was of worth to them, their most precious things. And they traveled months, maybe two years, to see this new king, to welcome him and to worship him. And today, we shift our focus one last time to the fourth and final vantage point that I'll share with you, that of the angels. And I don't get to share this vantage point very often, but when I do, it's always a crowd favorite. Everybody wants to hear the vantage point of the angels. And honestly, it is my personal favorite as well. I've read it hundreds, if not thousands of times. I know it by heart. I could probably recite it in my sleep. In fact, I know I can because I woke up last night doing it. But I love this, this vantage point the most, the vantage point of the prophets. Although the story, the story I'm going to tell you and have been telling you, it's much too important for me to rely on my memory alone. So I'll stick to using my trusty storybook to read you this story today. But before we begin, this vantage point bears some explaining even more than the other ones. You see, it's, it's different than those. The first vantage point I shared with you was this wide-angle view that spanned thousands of years of prophecies and prophets. The last two have been first-person accounts, one from a shepherd and one from a magi named Melchior. What we have today is, is different. You see, you're in for a treat because my boss, the master storyteller, has given me permission to share with you top secret classified correspondence. It's a section of the storybook that I don't normally get to share with just anybody. And the hierarchy of, of angels and archangels and all that is, is a little too complex for me to share with you today. But suffice it to say that what we have and what we're going to read today are letters written between two high-ranking angels, one codenamed the Herald and one codenamed the Warrior, all about that day, the day that changed every other day. And the days leading up to that day, the day of the birth of the one, the one who was prophesied about for thousands of years, the one who came for the poor to make something beautiful out of a mess, the one who moves the stars. <laughs> You're going to love it. 
aren't you? I hope so. The first letter that I'll share with you is written from the warrior to the herald, asking for an update on the herald's latest assigned proclamation. Let's get started. To the herald, it is with great excitement that I request an update from you, my brother. The much-awaited time has finally come. As you know, we, along with the heavens and the earth itself, have long been groaning for this time. Ever since the deceiver and his followers were first expelled from the presence of Jehovah and succeeded in deceiving the first of mankind at Eden, resulting in their expulsion as well. We have been waiting for this time, the day that is almost here. Jehovah, in his great mercy, has allowed us glimpses of it as we have delivered his messages to the favored among mankind throughout the centuries. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah, and more. But we have not been allowed to see it fulfilled as Jehovah has already seen it, nay, experienced it, as he is already there and here. A confusing idea, but one you can easily explain better than me. After all, it is yours to proclaim the message and mine to vanquish the enemy, each at the appointed time. We have been given our place and our gifts. I have heard of some trouble with your first proclamation. Please send an update soon as the hosts of heaven eagerly await it. Signed, The Warrior. Greetings to the warrior, vanquisher of the evil one and commander of the hosts of heaven. I received your letter and thought it important to reply in haste. I know you and many others are eagerly awaiting information about the grand plan of Jehovah, the Father of lights from whom all that is good emanates. With your duties as the general of Jehovah's armies, I am a bit perplexed at your ability to find time to write such a letter. But I digress. My brother, I have only just completed the first of my assigned proclamations, and it was not without intrigue, as you alluded. The humans, Jehovah's beloved, are most interesting and often surprising of all his good creation. This first proclamation was to the father of he who will prepare the way for the son. He is a priest named Zechariah, and his wife Elizabeth is from the daughters of Aaron. They are both righteous before Jehovah, walking blamelessly in all his commandments. But sadly, they have been barren to this point. Although I suspect it is because of their son to come that Jehovah sought fit to delay this blessing. Jehovah ensured that Zechariah would be chosen by lot to enter the temple to burn incense. I was allowed to appear to him right next to the altar of incense to deliver the proclamation I had prepared at Jehovah's command. 
as I expected from my own experience with past proclamations, Zechariah was greatly distressed and filled with fear at the sight of me for reasons I do not fully understand. I immediately told him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn, a, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. A powerfully clear and moving proclamation, if I do say so myself. Even so, the priest's face shone with confusion. I prepared to deliver my proclamation a second time, supposing the fear at my appearance had prevented his comprehension. But before I could begin again, the priest surprised me by saying this, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? He was asking how he could know that my proclamation would actually take place. The question gave me pause. I must admit that what I did next was not my finest hour. I felt righteous anger well up inside of me at his incredulous doubt. How shall he know this will happen? My question was, how does he not know that this will take place at this point? I thought he may not realize who I am or what I am, so I answered in slower speech this time. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I cannot be sure, since I am not omniscient like Jehovah, but Zechariah's face still seemed to carry the same question, as if unanswered by my reply. The fact that I am the herald and I stand in the presence of God for eternity seemed to be irrelevant to his inquiry. Well, that righteous anger welled up even stronger. So I decided in that moment, a decision I may come to regret later, to perform an old-fashioned smiting. I told Zechariah, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. For his incredulous doubt in my presence, I made him mute until the boy John is born. I felt it necessary. I am curious at your thoughts, though, brother. Would you have done the same? I must go to prepare for my next proclamation, for the time is soon. Forever your brother, the herald. To the herald, I found your letter interesting, to say the least, as did the hosts with me. We are divided in our view of your actions. As you know, Jehovah is both kind and severe, gracious and fierce. Half of us feel you should have responded the way you did, and the other half feel you should have been more gracious. Personally, I am with the former. Had it been this soldier in your place, I may have unsheathed my fiery sword and ended Zechariah on the spot. 
for his insolence. However, I realized that would have been the wrong path to take. And I assume that to you, taking his ability to speak was the worst punishment imaginable. As I said in my last letter, each of us has his purpose and gifting. Nonetheless, I feel your response was warranted. If I am correct about the timing, this letter should reach you around the time of your second assigned proclamation. Please send an update once it is completed. Signed, The Warrior. Salutations, warrior, my brother in the service of Jehovah. Praise be to Jehovah for his guidance and wisdom. I have a very favorable testimony to give you this eve. My second proclamation was without incident, much smoother than the first. I am pleased to report that there was not even a smidge of smiting, although I credit that not to me, but to the receiver of the proclamation, as you will soon understand. This proclamation was to the favored one, the virgin girl from Nazareth in Galilee, who is betrothed to the descendant of David, Joseph. Her name, as I am sure you are well aware, is Mary. She is also the cousin of the priest's wife, Elizabeth. When I saw her, I couldn't help but smile and address her in this way. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. As with previous proclamations to Jehovah's beloved mankind, Mary was fearful at the sight of me. In addition, I feel that I noticed on her face a troubled expression about the words I had chosen to greet her with. I thought I may have started in the wrong way, so I quickly and softly said, as I often do, do not be afraid. I went on to tell her that she had found favor with Jehovah. I told her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I told her that this Jesus will be the promised one, the Messiah, the one that we have all been waiting for, that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign for the house over the house of David, of Jacob, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The favored one is very practical in her thinking. I know this because her question was very practical in its nature. She asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? When I first heard it, I thought, not again. I remembered the priest's question after my first proclamation. But then I surmised a great difference between them. Zechariah was asking how he could believe something like this would happen. His question was based on unbelief. Mary was different. She was asking how it would happen. She already believed. She just wanted to understand how it would work. So I told her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the, sh the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. To add to her faith, I also told her of her cousin's news. She would bear a son very soon and was already in her sixth month. I reminded her that though this all seems impossible, nothing is impossible for Jehovah. Brother, her answer was amazing. I see now why Jehovah chose her out of all others. After a proclamation like mine, most would have responded 
with more questions and maybe even doubt. After all, this has never happened and will never happen again. But not Mary. She said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See what I mean? Amazing. My work was done. No smiting necessary. So I left her alone to ponder all that Jehovah had chosen her for. As I await the timing of my next proclamation, I am filled with wonder, thinking of all Jehovah is accomplishing and what an honor it is to serve him and his plan for his beloved. I am confident that you feel the same, brother. Gladly in Jehovah's service, the herald. To the herald, your last correspondence filled us with much joy. The favored one is living up to our expectations. I want to say, job well done for not responding in the same way to her question as you did to Zechariah's. I'm not sure I understand the subtle difference in their questions, but you are the communicator, not me. So I trust you know what you're talking about. All of us waiting are looking forward to your next proclamation. We are trying to predict how he will handle it, given its unprecedented nature. Many of your brothers here believe it will not end as we hope. We are counting on you to convince him of the right course of action. Send news as soon as you can. Signed, The Warrior. Greetings, warrior of Jehovah's army. It has been months since my last letter. I apologize for not writing sooner. As you know, the deceiver and his followers are working overtime to thwart Jehovah's plan. They believe that to be a possibility, although you and I know ultimately it is not. I have been held from writing because of some opposition I have faced. This is not unknown to you since I presume you were the one who sent some of our brothers in arms to my aid a fortnight ago. They were much help to me. I do not know how you were alerted to my distress, but I can only assume Jehovah's providence deserves the credit. I have delivered the last two proclamations I was charged with since I last wrote. The one to whom my third proclamation was to go, David's descendant, the young carpenter Joseph, had been facing his own opposition before I delivered my proclamation to him. I could tell that he was tormented with fear. The deceiver had convinced him that his worry and fear were justified, that his family and everyone else would surely shun him were he not to act swiftly against his betrothed, the favored one, Mary. Even though she had never given him a reason to think her unfaithful, Joseph was unable to come to any other conclusion, bound as he was by what he and other humans consider to be the laws of nature. This was many months ago now, but I reached him just in time. He was planning to divorce the favored one quietly. Even though he believed her to be unfaithful, he still had no desire to shame her. He has a good heart, much like his ancestor, the king. As he was trying to decide how he would do this one night in bed, he fell asleep. I decided to visit him in his dream, hoping he would be less afraid that way. 
I thought I may be able to convince him of the right course of action in a dream, as I have done other times with others. You, being in a different realm of service, may not realize that this is a common practice among proclaimers like myself. So I said to him in his dream, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I quoted the prophecy to him so that he would understand fully. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I am happy to report that when he awoke from sleep, Joseph believed what I had told him in his dream and did what I had told him to do. Thanks be to Jehovah. I am astounded at the obedience to Jehovah I have witnessed in both he and the young Mary. We are so used to seeing disobedience from his chosen people that are much more full of years than these. It was between my third and fourth proclamation that the opposition from our enemy increased at an alarming rate. Knowing the stakes, it seemed they focused all of their energy on keeping the son from being born and the news of his coming from being spread. Jehovah protected Mary and Joseph. I know he has all things under his control, but as the time of the birth drew near, I thought for a moment I may not be the one to deliver the proclamation. The opposition was so strong. It seemed to me that had you not dispatched help, that would have been the case. However, Jehovah gave us the victory just in time for me to arrive at the city of David at the appointed hour. As expected, I found the chosen shepherds watching their flock in the middle of the night, just outside of the city of David, Bethlehem. I'll be honest, brother. It was not my best appearance strategy. Maybe it was the fight I had just come from or possibly just my excitement about the birth of the son. But I just appeared to the shepherds out of nowhere without changing my appearance. As could be expected, they were filled with great fear at my arrival. They immediately began to scramble away and shield their eyes. Most of them fell to the ground in their hurry to retreat. As is my habit, I told them to fear not, but it was to no avail. They remained terrified. I continued with my proclamation, one that I hoped would immediately bring them comfort. I said, as rehearsed, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. They seemed to not comprehend my words, the looks of shock frozen on their pale faces. I continued, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The shock seemed to wear off for a moment at my mention of a manger, confusion replacing it on their faces as they considered the idea that their much-awaited Messiah was lying in a feeding trough. It was at that moment that the other proclaimers came into view, thousands, more than I have ever appeared with before. We pulled out all the stops, as they say. After all, this is not just a proclamation, but the most important one of all time, past, present, or future. We said in unison, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then we disappeared from the shepherd's view. 
I waited nearby out of their sight to see what would happen. The shepherds were slow to get up, but once they talked for a moment about what they had seen and what me and my team had proclaimed, they sprinted off in the direction of Bethlehem. Our proclamation had been received. Jehovah was obeyed. The news of the arrival of the sun would spread. I even heard news of a star guiding some Gentiles called Magi from the east to worship the sun. A nice touch from Jehovah himself, no doubt. Talk about pulling out all the stops. I look forward to seeing you soon, brother, so that we can rejoice in person. Jehovah the Son, we have worshipped for eternity past, has entered human history to save mankind. The time has finally come. The deceiver will soon be vanquished by you and the host of heaven through Jehovah's power. For the Son, signed, the Herald. I told you you were in for a treat. You can thank me later. (laughs) Much more correspondence exists between these two angels and others, but I have neither the time nor the permission to read them to you today. And as I've told you in our previous sessions, my job as the storyteller is not just to tell you the story, but to help you understand it as well. Because this is not just a story. It's the story. Every other story is connected to this story. Like streams flowing into rivers that flow into the ocean, every other story flows into this story. Good stories, they teach you something. The best stories, they change you. This story has the power to change you like no other. And so, I only have one thing to draw your attention to. And you, being as sharp as you are, probably already noticed it. But what did the angel, codenamed the Herald, consistently begin each of his proclamations with? Maybe not so sharp. Fear not. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Your enemy, the one they called the deceiver, the serpent who deceived our first grandparents, Adam and Eve, Satan, he wants you to be afraid. He lies and lies and lies, all with the goal of of enslaving you and imprisoning you in fear so that you won't trust God to do what he wants you to do, to do what he said he would do, so that you won't step out in faith, so that you won't accomplish the plans he's given you to accomplish on this earth. What if Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, 
or the angels or the shepherds had been controlled by their fear? What if they had let their fear win out? We know that God's purpose and plans would have ultimately been accomplished. But the story may have looked a lot different. And they may, have, may have not have had a part to play in it. Fear. It can be debilitating. Wouldn't you agree? It can steal your life, your purpose, your energy, your opportunity. It can poison your mind into thinking a totally different way. Fear oftentimes keeps us from playing the part the master storyteller has for us to play in the master story. Listen clearly. Listen closely. Your enemy wants to paralyze you with fear. But the message of Christmas is fear not. That's what the birth of Jesus means for you and for me. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to allow our insecurities and our doubts to chain us up and keep us in prison. So, what are you afraid of? What people will think? What you might lose? Not having enough? What finally surrendering to God for real will cost you? What it will cost you if you give God your location, your finances, your future, your hopes, your dreams, your kids, where they go to school, what they do when they grow up? What that will cost you, is that, is that what you're afraid of? Hear me. I bring to you good news of great joy. That is for all people. For unto us this day is born a Savior who is Christ the King. So fear not. I have so enjoyed getting to share this story with you over the last few sessions that I've gotten to be with you. But there's more to it, much more. Even four vantage points like this is not enough to fully understand and appreciate the story of all stories, the story that is much more than a story, the story that changed everything. Unpacking it and letting it change you is really a lifelong journey. Not to mention, it's not finished yet. This story is still being written today. And don't forget that your story is a vantage point to the story, to this story. So just like I've shared with you these other vantage points during our time together, so you can go out and share yours about what God has done in Christ with anyone who will listen. And what better time to begin doing that than now? 
than in this season. I just love this time of year, don't you? Thank you for letting me come, letting me be here with you. I'm the storyteller. Until next time. Just as Pastor Jake wraps that up, there, there is more. The story doesn't end there. And uh, I wanted to just read out a Psalm 56 here. And um, in verse 3, just a reminder that we don't need to fear. We fear the unknown. And at times we let anxiety build up in our lives. I know myself, sometimes I lay awake at night, not able to sleep because I'm thinking about all the things that need to get done or all the different things and ideas that may help a certain situation. But we let these things keep us from God. So out of 50, Psalm 56 here, verse 3 and 4, it says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? See, Jesus knew that when he came, he wasn't just coming to be born and just to enjoy a nice life. No, he was coming to die for you and I on a cross to take that shame and that fear and that sin and to rid us of it forevermore. So a lot of times what happens is we want to let go of this fear, but we don't really let go of it. We, we, we kind of put it down, but before we leave, we pick it back up again and take it with us. And so this morning, if you've been struggling with fear, maybe maybe just you don't know Lord, the Lord at all. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. And there's all these different things in your life, and you feel alone and lost, afraid. Then we want to let you know that, that God is the answer, that he has made a way for you, and that he can take all those fears and all that shame. In Matthew, it says this. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are weary heavy laden and I will give you rest so we know that God came to give us rest God came to take our burdens now that doesn't mean that life gets a magical spell and then it's all good from there no we still may endure things but we don't have to do it alone anymore and all we have to do is humble ourselves it says in James 4 it says humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up and so as we stand up this evening or this morning and as we stand together it'll be prayer workers on the sides and in the back 
And what they'll, they'll be for you is they'll be there to pray with you. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you can say yes to Jesus. And I guarantee you there'll be a change. Now, there may still be trials and tribulations, but you know what? You're not going to do it alone. And all he asks is that we humble ourselves and that we come to him. And maybe for all of us today who've known the Lord, who've said yes to Jesus, there's still fear, there's still anxiety, there's still things that we let override our beliefs, that we let weigh on our minds and hearts. Let them go this morning. Leave them at the cross. He didn't stay in the manger. No, he went to the cross, and then he went to the tomb, and then he left the tomb for us because he paid the price for us so we no longer have to fear anything at all. And as we sing this song out, no longer slaves, that I am a child of God, that I am called by his name, that I don't have to live in fear anymore. I don't have to live underneath that because God has freed me from that. So let's stand up together. And as we sing this out, if you need prayer, they'll be on the sides or in the backs. You can go to them as we sing this song out. And let's just let God free us. If we're holding on to anything, let it go and let God have his way. And I promise you, you will not regret it.